It's an amazing thing, isn't it, to be able to share this sort of ancient story, if you like, of Jesus gathering with his first followers, and we get to reenact it together to, to know the truth of who he is and what he's done for us as well. And it's a privilege, isn't it, to be able to sit next to one another and to do that, just to be his people, declaring who he is as well. And it's the same with the ancient text we've been looking at recently, the book of Nehemiah. And uh, if you've got your Bibles or you want to switch on your apps, then please do on your phone. And we're going to be continuing our journey through this very ancient story of Nehemiah and the people of God. Uh, We started it last year and uh, did the easy bits, the first three chapters, and then uh, felt uh, felt we needed to do justice to it and continue. So we're on, uh, next week's the last week of Nehemiah. Hooray! Oh no, no, okay. But last week we're going to finish it off. But we're on a bit of a big patch today. We're on chapter 9, verse 38, to chapter 12, verse 26. It's a lot to get in. But, but as you'll find out, there's um, a lot of the same thing going on in it. But here's this ancient text. Why? Why do we have this book of Nehemiah? Why do we take time to, to look at it? Why do we reread it? Why do we still get a sense that God is speaking through it. And, and I think we're given this so that we can learn to enjoy God more. That as we read these ancient texts and we see the thread of God and his people working through all the challenges that they faced, I know they're different contexts to us, but you know, there's still people who face the same challenges as we do. But we get this to understand who God is and we get this to to enjoy him more. That when we read these ancient words, we get a sense that, yeah, God's okay. (laughs) And it's good to get to know him. It's good to be a person who praises him together as well. The whole of the Bible is pointing to something much bigger than just the words on the page, isn't it? So when we read this ancient story we get a bigger understanding of who God is and what it is he's calling us to in our day as well. When we looked at John's Gospel a a while ago and we came to the end of it, there's that verse in John's Gospel, John 20 verse 31, where John says this about what he's written. He says, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And I think we could as well apply that to the whole of this text, the whole of this book that we carry around with us pockets now every single day on our phones. I think it's still there that we might believe and have life in the name of Jesus as we see this story unfolding. And when I look at the the book of Nehemiah, there, there's something that really echoes through it that I sort of felt today that many of you will know this already, but it was sort of one of those moments for me when I suddenly thought, you know what, I think this is what this book is all about. It was staring at me in the face a little bit as I've been working through this and preparing over these weeks, but it was there and it was like, oh, right, now I sort of get why this book is here for us. Let me read you some of these verses, see if you can hear it as well. Chapter 1 and verse 8. We'll go back to the beginning. Do you remember when 
Nehemiah was first confronted with the news that the walls of Jerusalem were fallen down. The messenger came. He was a cupbearer to the king in Susa in Babylon. He'd been in exile with his people for generations. He, he didn't, had never been to Jerusalem, but he'd heard about it. He heard all the stories. He'd got his ancestral stories there. And then he heard it, and it caused him to cry, and it caused him to pray. And in chapter 1, we, we get his prayer. In verse 8, Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, which they were at this point in Babylon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Then, if you want to flick over to chapter 9, which we were in last week, chapter 9, verse 5, the second half. Nehemiah again. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and all the people of his land, for you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself which remains to this day. And it was that that I suddenly thought, you know what, I think this is what the book's about. It's about making a name for God. This story is about, not about Nehemiah and his skills in leadership and how to lead and organize, but it was about them saying, we're going to make a name for God here. Because his name is what needs to be lifted up. It's his name that defines us as a people. It's his name that defines our future. It's his name that defines our decisions. And if we make his name known, then we're not going to go far wrong with what he has in store for us. A name that two and a half thousand years later we're still getting to know. Responding to, enjoying, worshipping. We're calling on the name of God together. A name that has been exalted to the highest place. A name that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. A name to the glory of God the Father. And I think it's this name that we can get to know even more as well. And maybe through these ancient writings and through the story that the Bible presents for us, we're there to not only know the name of God, but to make him known as well. And so I want us to think about that today, about how do we make his name known? How do we, how do, we do that today in our context? What are the important steps that we can take to do that? So just a, a very quick recap for those of you who are, perhaps haven't connected into any of this story before. The people of Israel returned from, from exile, uh, led by Zerubbabel in 537 BC. They joyously rebuilt the temple, and it had been in ruins for about 50 years up to that point. But over time, the joy of the temple being rebuilt gave way to incredible discouragement because the city of Jerusalem still lay in ruins, and the walls were still rubble as well. So 444 BC, we come to Nehemiah. Cupbearer to the king was about to become a bricklayer as well. He was moved with compassion at what he'd heard. And he had concern for his people and for the name of God. That was what drove him back that day. And he called on the king and the king let him go. And so we've, we've traced through this story of them doing the walls. 
And this book of Nehemiah is a record of God's faithfulness to his people, but also to us as well. The God who equipped them to do the work for his glory and for his name, so that his name could be made known. We're called to make a name, to make his name known, to understand that he is the God who we honor and worship, the God who draws people to himself as well. We're called not to be great, but to make his name great. And God's people in Nehemiah's day, they heard his word proclaimed and their hearts were stirred to worship and obedience as well. It's a story of ordinary people who, who follow an extraordinary God to do extraordinary things as well. They resolve to obey God. They resolve to do everything step by step as he has planned for them until they are come to be this people. Remember, this wasn't about building a wall. This was about restoring a people. And Nehemiah now is leading the people to become all of that as well. Now, if you're taking a quick glance at uh, the uh, chapters 10 and 11, you'll see that really, and 12, it's full of names. It's just full of names of people. It's like the, the story of the, the, the people, the individuals. We know nothing about them other than their name. And some of you will find that really interesting, won't you? Especially those of you who love genealogy and tracing your family history. You'll find that fascinating, won't you? Yeah? Because I think the only people interested in names are those funny people who do want to trace their ancestry and spend hours doing it. In family history searches, I, I've never done it myself, but um, I'm guessing you, you want to find out if you're related to royalty rather than a rag and bow man, don't you? Yeah? Or a nobleman rather than a notorious thief, although that could be quite exciting. Or whether, whether in the past you've got a, a, a castle owner rather than a cattle stealer. I don't know how that grabs you, but the chances are you've got a cattle stealer in your past because there's more cattle to steal than there are castles to live in. But these names are fascinating. Not because of the particular names, but because it's a list of names. A list of people, real people, who are involved in this particular part of God's story, who gather together to fulfill what God intended for his people to fulfill. Now, there are 86 names in chapter 10. I can see some of you counting them already. 82 names in chapter 11. And despite my best efforts to count how many there were in chapter 12, I lost count so many times I gave up. But if you can do that later today, not now, by the way, if you can do it later today and email me with the, the right answer, I would be very grateful for the right answer of how many names there are in chapter 12. That would be great. And some of you have started counting already. I know I can see you pretending to look at the Bible on your phone. And, well, you are looking at the Bible, aren't you? And you're just going to tell me, I'm reading the Bible. Yes, I know, but... And I think we can be really encouraged that Nehemiah recorded the names down. Not because they were great personalities or great celebrities or had done amazing things, but because they were just ordinary people committed to making God's name known. That's why they're there. To make God's name known. And this morning I just want to challenge you. There are... I've just got three things that we can do to make God's name known. You knew it would be three. Yeah. Here's the first one anyway. I, I even put them on a slide for you today. A commitment to live God's way. If we're going to make God's name known, we've got to have a commitment to live God's way. 
Now, this is a personal commitment, but if you look at the story of Nehemiah, it is also an agreement of the people. If you go to uh, chapter 9, verse 38, where our, our passage starts, in view of all this, we are making a binding agreement. We're making it. We're doing this together. We're not on our own. We're part of a community, a family. We've built this wall together, shoulder to shoulder. We're going to continue to build this people together. We are making a binding agreement. Chapter 10, verse 28. The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who were able to understand, the rest of the people made the same agreement. We are agreeing that this is going to happen. Whatever position you have, whatever gift you've got, whatever part you play, we are standing together to do this. No one person is more important than anybody else. We're all called and gifted to serve God together. A commitment to live his way together. Verse 29 of chapter 10. All these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. If we're going to make his name known, we have to have a commitment to live God's way, and that's what they were doing. They're replaying Deuteronomy chapter 29, Deuteronomy chapter 29, the blessings and the curses. You'll find them written there. Another lovely thing to do this afternoon when you're sitting in the sunshine in your garden. They're saying, we're going to go back to that time when Moses gave all these commands and we're going to commit to live God's way again. Now, we're pretty cynical people and we'll say, yeah, they've done this many times before. Yes, and so have you and so have I. But here in this moment, they're saying, no, we're going to commit to live God's way. We're going to put a marker in the sand. We're going to live his way. And this is the way we are going to live. And it's the same challenge for us today, isn't it? To keep reminding ourselves of the commitments that we've made in the past as well. You're making an agreement. It's a piece of paper, but but we're going to follow it through. Maybe you've dedicated a child and you've made promises when you've dedicated that child. Maybe at a wedding, you've made promises of how you're going to build that relationship that honors God. We go back to that and we say, that's still the way. I'm going to make an agreement that this is the way to make God's name known, to bring up my child in this way, to have a marriage that reflects that as well. At a baptism, many of you will have been baptized and in that moment you'll have declared, you know, I'm going to commit myself to live God's way. And we can go back to that moment of baptism and say, you know, that was the marker in the sand. I'm going to go back to that and I'm going to say, yes, I'm going to agree to that all over again. You know, my first commitment that I made, I, 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 don't, I think there's a copy of it up here. This is my first promise that I made. Have we got that? There it is. Look at that. I've still got it. Joined up writing. Did you see that? Look. This was the first public promise that I made to live God's way. And it's, it's probably the most significant promise that I've ever made in my life, other than getting married, of course. But in terms of this, I promise, it says on the right hand side, to pray, to read my Bible, and by his help, to lead a life that is clean in thought, word, and deed. And I signed it, and it was dated the 23rd of September, 1967. And yes, we had pens there, and things were in color then as well, which is quite amazing. <laughs> and I've still got it. Why have I still got it? Because I go back to it and say, I'm committing myself to live God's way. 
And what a simple yet profound promise I was able to make. That, that was when I uh, was brought up in the Salvation Army, hence the, uh, the flag, the Salvation Army flag. Is, uh, and the asterisk is very interesting as well and very important in the Salvation Army. So uh, I, I hit that. But it says, I promise not to drink intoxicating drink, okay? So at the age of seven, I made a promise not to drink intoxicating drink, okay? But this is the commitment. And many of you, you'll have other things that you've signed along the way. So if you're going to make God's name known, make a commitment to live God's way and keep that commitment as well. The promises of the people, I called it the people's priorities, but then I thought, no, it's the people's promises, I better say. Chapter 10, verse 30, we promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the people around us or take their daughters for our sons. We promise to live in a different way. We're going to set a different marker here. Verse 32, we assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of God. We assume responsibility to give what is required to worship God in the temple place. Verse 34, we, the priests, the Levites, and the people have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of our God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We're going we're to manage God's house. We're going to bring what's needed for God's house to flourish what is required to serve. We're going to bring the first things. We assume responsibility, verse 35, for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. As it is written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, of our herds, of our flocks to the house of God, to the priests ministering there. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God, to the priests, the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings. You get the picture. The first bit is going to God. We commit ourselves to giving the first bit, the tithe, the 10%. We're going to give it to God. It's a commitment to live God's way, expressing what God has done in practical ways for their life together. We want to make God's name known, and this is how we're going to live to do it. Verse 39 of chapter 10, we will not neglect the house of our God. We'll continue to make his name known will continue for this place to be a witness to who God is. This is how we enjoy God. This is how we make his name known. Make a commitment to live God's way. Second commitment. We got that one. Next one. Click. A commitment to live with God's people. Now the city was rebuilt, the temple, the walls, the gates, the people are renewed, but how will revival come unless the people will live in the city? If you go back to chapter 7 verse 4 of Nehemiah, you'll see there, now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So how did they populate the city? Well, chapter 11 and verse 1 tells us that. Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. They tithed the people as well. The 10% came to live in the city. An affirmation from everybody else. They commended them to say, we're going to do this together. 
A commitment to live with God's people is a great way to make God's name known. So we're not on our own. We're not isolated. We stand together. We live one with another. There's so much, this is so much more than a list of names. Every one of these people is known, is important, is needed. They have an identity. It's answering the question, who am I? That is my identity. They also have a task. Why am I here? And this is how God will continue to make his name known. When his people discover their identity, this is who I am, and they discover why they're here. Why am I moving into the city of Jerusalem? It's to make God's name known. Why am I part of this congregation here in Newcastle Baptist Church? It's to make God's name known. That's why I'm here. And if you were to ask the person next to you, who are you? I hope they will know the answer to that today. If you ask them, why are you here? I'd love to think that every one of us will know why we're here. We're here to be his people, to make his name known. These lists show us the significance of the ordinary. They were people who would live together in the city. They committed themselves. They may not have liked the people they were living with or sat next to in the temple that day or in church, but they committed themselves. We're going to make his name known. Chosen to build a community, to honor God's name. Leaders, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants. You name it, they were there. 468 descendants of Judah. 928 descendants of Benjamin. Now that, that's significant as well, of course. Because the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, they were the southern kingdom. The kingdom had split in two, northern and southern. The southern kingdom was where David was, where Jerusalem was. And what happened out of the line of David? Jesus. So here's these people continuing this story, making sure that this story that God is writing continues, that out of the line of David will come the Messiah, the Savior of the world. 822 who carried on work at the temple, 244 heads of the family, 128 people of standing, 172 men who kept watch at the gates. Now there are problems with these lists of names if you read the commentators. There are questions about their accuracy, their timescales, mixing up chronology, confusions, uncertainties. There is all sorts of not very clear stuff about them. Perhaps they're inserted at a later date, maybe. But the one thing that's clear is that God has led the people back to the city to be a people who would make his name known. That's why they were there. I am Athiah, a descendant of Judah, and I'm here with 467 other people to make God's name known. I am Salu, a descendant of Benjamin, and I'm here with 927 other people to make God's name known. I am Jediah, I am Shemaiah, I am Akub, and we are here with hundreds, thousands of other people to make God's name known. We're committed to live with God's people to make his name known. That's why you're here. If you didn't know why you're here, this is why you're here, to make his name known. When you go to work tomorrow morning or later today, when you go and look after your grandkids this week, when you, when you go and knock on a neighbor's door, when you, when you go into the workplace with your colleagues, wherever you are, you're there to make God's name known and you're not on your own. 
you're with God's people who may not be physically in the same space as you this week, but they are with you because we're committed to standing with one another so that you can make his name known and I can make his name known. That's our commitment today and every day. If everything I do and say is guided by my understanding of my identity in Jesus and my call to be part of his people, then I think we have a chance that others might join in this adventure as well. I'm not here alone. I'm known and loved by God. And I make a commitment to be part of something bigger than I can be with other people who share the same commitment as me. You matter to God. Your life counts. The rubble, the brokenness we see around us every day, whether it's in our own communities, our families, or whether it's on the screen, it can become revival. It can become revival. If we make a commitment to live God's way and we make a commitment to live with God's people, revival will come when we make his name known. That's our task. Yeah, I was struck by what happened to Justin Welby the other week. On Saturday the 6th of May, he crowns and anoints the king. And on Wednesday the 10th of May, he stands up in the House of Lords and criticizes the government's controversial illegal migration bill. That was quite a week, wasn't it? Quite a week. Now, you may agree or disagree with either or both of those actions. But on those contrasting occasions, he made the name of Jesus known. He spoke about Jesus to half the world's population on the Saturday in the midst of an ancient ritual. And on Wednesday, he spoke about Jesus on behalf of the voiceless. We can make Jesus' name known, can't we? We can make him known wherever we are, in the places God has called us to be. And if we're committed to doing that, knowing that we stand together, then I think we can do it with boldness and confidence. One more. I promised you three, didn't I? A commitment to live for God's future. See, the past is not God's last word. What we see now is not what will finally be in place. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. Hebrews 11 is this great list of faithful people. Have a read of that. It's just a list of names. Another list of names of people who are commended for their faith. Verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country that they had left, they would have an opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them there's a bigger city for the future that God has called the faithful people to people who are committed to that future to seeing something bigger than we see right now to make his name known and that's the call to all those who choose to follow Jesus the past is not God's last word whatever's happened in your life before is not his last word because there's Something better coming. There's a future that he has planned for you. And he wants a people who will inhabit this city. 
who will build it and live in it in the way that he has shown us to do it. A city, a people on a hill, a bright light shining in the darkness. And in Revelation chapter 21, we get a further glimpse of what that city that we are part of building, what it's going to look like. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who has seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That's the city, the future that God has called us to build now each day. The people of God, that's my identity. Right where I am, that's why I'm here. To make his name known in words and in actions. I wonder if That's the sort of commitment that you would make today. A commitment to live his way. A commitment to live with his people, to be part of his community. And a commitment to work, to strive for his future as well. I wonder if you'll do it. Because there's a city to build. And we're going to be part of that as God makes his name known even greater still. Let's pray together. Let's pray. I wonder if there's one of those commitments that you will be prepared to make today. There may be one of those that you know is the one for you. Maybe your life isn't reflecting the way that God wants you to live. Hebrews says, you know, sin easily tangles us up and trips us up in this race. But as we remembered around the table, as we broke bread and drank together, we're reminded that there is forgiveness through the cross. Make a fresh commitment today, will you? To live God's way. And you're not alone. We are a people today. In this place and scattered in many different places. People across the world today who are making God's name known. We're part of that incredible family. So you can find someone who will walk with you. And pray with you. And carry you when you need carrying. Maybe for you today, it is that commitment to be with God's people. Maybe to deliberately invite somebody else, meet with them, meet for a coffee with them, look at God's word together, pray together, maybe two or three other people. And you want to start living with God's people, supporting, encouraging one another, together making God's name known through your friendship, through your relationship together. It may be today that you just need a refocus on God's future. You're getting wrapped up with 
the here and now, and of course we all do. There are things that we have to do. But maybe today just lift your eyes to the future God has in store for you and for his world. There's something bigger and greater to live for. Make his name known. Father God, I pray in these moments of commitment, as we make fresh and new promises, as we remember old promises and reaffirm them to you today, come Holy Spirit, I pray, fill our lives with your presence and with your power, anoint us with more of you, and seal the promises we make to you, our commitments to you today, to be your people, to make your name known. Thank you that you call us to be a part of your ongoing plan for this world. May we live up to your call and in the power of your spirit be the people you've called us to be. I pray in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for being here today and uh, for worshipping together. Every blessing on you in this week. We're going to sing a final song together in a few moments. Anybody counted the names in chapter 12 yet? You're going to own up? Oh, whisper it to me later. But uh, every name's important. Don't skip over the names that are written in the Bible, will you? Don't skip over them. They're people who were part of our story and who laid a foundation for us to continue to worship him. And here's a bit of useless information. I suddenly realized that the the word name is an anagram of amen as well. Did you know that? (laughs) I was just looking at it and it suddenly thought, oh, yes, an anagram of amen. Isn't that amazing? Anyway, that's just a bit of useless information. Well, the rest of it might have been useless as well. But there's an extra bit of useless information to you today. It'll get you thinking, won't it? You won't forget that now, will you? You won't forget that.